I don't know if you guys are mystery people, but I enjoy mysteries. I, I was, I think, in high school when I first started reading Sherlock Holmes. Before that, it was the Hardy Boys. Before that, it was the Bobsey Twins. I just, I read all of them. Um, it, it didn't matter. And I, I still, I still like that. I mean, one of my favorite games as a kid was Clue. You know, where you have to figure out somebody has died and what did they do and where did they do it, right? And you're, you're just, it's like a puzzle, it's, but it's, you're trying to figure this out. And so this morning, we have a murder on our hands and we have to figure out who did it. And we see in Romans chapter 7, in verses 5 and 6, we, we finished uh, Romans 7, 5, and 6 last week, that the law is standing accused. And so this morning we have to determine, is it in fact the law or is there another that is guilty of this murder? Romans 7, 5, and 6 says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so what, what's happening here is as Paul is describing this and as he's writing this about the, our relationship with the law, the, the, the hearers of this or the readers of this are seeing this problem. The law is being set up as... The one who causes us pain, right? That, that somehow we are held captive by the law and we have died because of the law. Now, for those of us who grew up in the church, that's not really a problem. We grew up in the church and we know grace is way better than law, right? We have the grace of Jesus, the law. That was this old thing that they used to have and they used to do, but we don't really do that anymore. And uh, we all know that like the law keepers in the Bible, every time you see a law keeper, they're probably a bad guy, right? And anybody who esteems the law, thinks highly of it, they're, they're probably up to no good because we, we grew up and we, we know these things. But that's not what the context is for those who are hearing Paul's letter when he's writing it to them. Their context is they know that the law is the way that God relates to His people. Can there be anything more important than God's instructions to His people as to how they should live and how they should be holy before them? They know things like Deuteronomy chapter 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And here it comes. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey His voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. 
If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord will gather you, and from there he will take you, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and your enemies who persecute you. And you again shall obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commands that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it down to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going to over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This is the context that Paul is writing to. And so when he starts writing and talking about the death that came by the law, there people are listening to this and going, wait a second, time out. Through the law comes life. Through the law comes life. That's how we know. It's when we turn, turn away from other things and we turn to the law of, the, of God to obey His commandments. Then God will love us and bless us. Then He will take care of us and will prosper us and He will bring us back to the land that He had promised us before. If we don't do the law, if we reject that, He's going to cast us out. Are you, Paul, now saying that the law is the problem? Is that what you're saying? And so Paul asks that question right at the beginning of Romans chapter uh, 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. 
Is the law the killer? Is the law the problem here? And Paul goes, no, no. In no way am I accusing the law of killing. That's not what's going on here. The law is a tool. The the law reveals for us. It's like when you're in the dark and you can't really see what's going on and you can't see what's happening in the dark and somebody lights a match and they light a candle and now there's light there and you can begin to see what's going on. That's what the law does. The law puts light so that you can see what's happening. The the, the sin was there all the time. There was a problem there underneath all along. You just couldn't see it. You didn't know that it was there. But when the law comes along, it shines a light, and now you can see that sin that has been there the whole time, but you didn't know about before. We know about things like this, right? You bring your car in because it needs its regular oil change, and the mechanic goes in there, and he comes back to you and goes, you have a problem. What do you mean I have a problem? It's cracked. What's cracked? The AV joint. What is that? I don't know. But the mechanic knows, and as he was doing all of his inspections, he found this and he goes, you have a problem, this thing's going to break and that's not safe. I didn't even know I had one of those. I'm not even sure it's a real thing. But the mechanic is looking and he spots it and now he brings it to light and he says, this is unsafe. If you keep driving like this, it will break, you will crash. Hopefully it happens at low speeds because this is not going to be a good thing. And so you go, okay, now I have to deal with this. It was there the whole time, I just didn't know about it before. But the law, in in that illustration, the mechanic, in our illustration, the law brings light so that we can see what's going on. And the illustration that he uses is this coveting thing. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. Is that an important law? You shall not covet? Pretty important. Maybe like top ten. (laughs) But he didn't use one of the other ones, right? We know, we know the other ones. You shall not murder, right? Paul had written down, because I would not have known. If the law didn't tell me I shouldn't murder, I would not have known. Really, Paul? Come on. You wouldn't have known not to murder? I already knew that. I did not know. Unless the law told me, I would not have known not to steal. Really, Paul? You didn't know you shouldn't take somebody's stuff? But Paul doesn't use those as his example. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Hold up. Time out. I didn't take anything. I didn't do anything. I just saw it and wanted it. That's a problem? Have you ever seen, spent time with small children? They don't know that this is wrong. Maybe you haven't spent time with small children. You've just spent time with a dog. A dog doesn't know either. 
The dog left the room and came back and you're holding the toy and the dog's like, that's mine. There's another dog in that same room and that dog goes over. You walked away. It's my bone now. Nope. It was my bone first. It's always my bone. I saw that bone. It belongs to me. Now, I had this bone first. Doesn't matter. I would like that bone. It belongs to me. Right? Children are the same way. They see things and they go, that's my toy. No, they had it first. Nope, it's my toy. I had it yesterday. I ever did play with that toy. It belongs to me. It's my toy. No, you have never seen this toy before, but I'm seeing it now and I would really like it. That toy must belong to me. It must be my toy. And, and before we get too far off by looking at small children and dogs at all, oh, ha ha, isn't it funny how they do that? We have to realize that adults do the same thing. Otherwise, it wouldn't have to be one of the top ten commandments. If we already knew we don't need to, we should not do that, we wouldn't have to be told, don't covet. But it is because we covet that we have to be told, you can't do that. That's not right. Why? What's wrong with coveting? You have it. I wish I did. It's not like I took it from you. Why is this a problem? It's against the law. It's against the law. If the law had not been there, you wouldn't have known that this is wrong. And you would have gone on coveting. Being displeased with the things that God had given you because it wasn't enough. You just really wish that you had that thing. That thing that you don't have. Never mind the things that you do have. I wish I had that. I wish that were me. And so in the Ten Commandments, we're told, don't covet. Don't covet anything. Well, how about my neighbor's wife? Nope, don't covet that. His business? Nope. His property? No. Anything that belongs to my neighbor? No. No. You shall not covet. You see, before there was law there, you couldn't see what was going on. And so just like you take an arrow and you shoot it, it can fly really straight. But if there's no target, you don't know if it hit or missed. But once the target is there, now I know. Oh, I shot it really straight. I just shot it in the wrong direction. That target's over there. then it doesn't matter how straight it went, you missed. And this is what the law does. The law is a tool. It can't be the murderer. It just, it just highlights what's already there and it shows you what's right and what's wrong. Romans 7 verse 8. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sins, sin lies dead. Oh, we've been introduced into a new character. 
The law had been accused of murder. We, we had thought maybe it was the law, and now, but then we realized, no, the law is just a tool. The law is just a, uh, this candle lighting up the room so that we can see what's going on. It can't be the law. But now sin is introduced. Sin, sin comes in, and look at how sin is personified here. Sin is acting. Sin is doing something. Sin is taking opportunity of a moment and sees this possibility here. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Sin, sin looked in and said, oh, hey, 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 hey. Oh, I bet you wish you had that. You're not allowed to have that, huh? Oh, that's too bad. You're not allowed to have that because I bet you'd really like to have. Doesn't that look good? Does this sound like any story you've heard before? Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the of the you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden and neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Before the law, what, there was no room there, right? What was, what was sin going to do? What was the serpent going to say? But now there's the command there. Do not eat of that fruit. Do not eat from that tree. And the serpent comes in and says, says to them, Oh, hey, I, I heard about this rule. This law, this commandment. Sounds like a really bad commandment. You're not allowed to eat at all? Aren't you going to be hungry if you can't eat from any of the fruit of any of the trees? And the woman says, Oh, no, no, we can't. We can't eat. We can eat of, of any of the fruit of any of the trees. Just that one we can't. That's the only one. Oh, that one? That's just the best one. You can eat from the fruit of all of those other lousy trees, but not that one? Do you know what that one does? Do you know how great that one is? It's amazing. If you eat from the fruit of that tree, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to know good and evil just like God. Like that, something snapped inside the woman. 
and she began to covet. Oh, she coveted that fruit. She coveted that wisdom that God had that she didn't have. Oh, if only I could have that. Yeah, I know I can eat all those other fruits and that's fine, but man, if only I could have that fruit. That's the fruit I really want. I want to be like God, knowing good and evil. And seeing it and being tempted by it, coveting it, she reached for it and she grabbed it and she took it and she gave some to her husband. And every time I read this story, I look at it and go, how come you weren't satisfied? Why couldn't it have been enough? All the other stuff. You were walking with God in the cool of the day. That was pretty great. How come you gave up all that other stuff because you wanted this one so bad? And then I find myself scrolling through the internet and, oh man, an ad. How did they know? I was looking for one of those. I didn't even know it existed, but now I really need one of those. Around Christmas time, man, those kinds of ads pop up all over the place. Tools, motorcycles, cars. It's probably something different for you, but these are some of the things that I see. <laughs> Electronic gadgets. They, they just pop up and up. Oh, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Uh, man, they don't say in the ad how much that is. Oh, that's why they didn't say. Man, I wish I had that much money. <laughs> It's this covetousness that, that rides up inside us. So that suddenly we're dissatisfied with the gifts that God has given us. We're dissatisfied with the blessings that we have, with God's provision for us, and we want something else, something more, something different. And what we realize is that sin has done this. Sin has taken opportunity. We, we, what we recognize if you're looking at one of these whodunit things is that sin was seen with the law. The law was the instrument. The law wasn't the murderer, but sin was seen with the law. And this is suspicious. Because we don't think that sin was doing productive things with the law. Sin was not walking around with the law as the candlestick holding up the light going, oh, let's see, any problems? The sin was using it to say, look it, there's something you'd like to have. Something you're not allowed to have. Verse 9, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And the very commandment that promised life to me proved to be death to me. That very thing that, remember when we read through Deuteronomy and all of the promises of life, should we follow the law, should we obey the commands of God with all of our whole heart and strength, then He would accept us and we would be His. But that thing that promised life to us suddenly reveals to us how sinful we are and how little we want to obey God. 
And when it reveals that, then the very thing that was intended to be life to us suddenly reveals to us our deep darkness and the brokenness that is within us and the awful things that we think and do and our awful motivations. And the thing that was meant to be life to us is used to kill us. And we realize, oh, the law was not the murderer. The law was the murder weapon. The law was used against us. For sin, verse 11, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. That's what happened. There was sin the whole time, recognizing the law and going, oh, there's an opportunity here. I can use this. I can do this. And so sin, seeing the opportunity, seizes it and grabs the law and uses it for its own purposes. And through it, we were deceived and we were killed. Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God did say you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to, be, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths and they realized Shame. Because they had been deceived by sin. Using the commandment, using the law and twisting it against them. And now that thing that should reveal what is good and holy and life-giving now reveals to them their death. So, Romans 7, verse 12, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Let's not forget that. Those of us who grew up in the church... Those of us who cling to grace. Those of us who look at the Old Testament and go, that was a long time ago and doesn't apply to me anymore because Jesus. Those of us who are tempted to look at the law and go, oh no, that law is bad. No. The law isn't bad. The law is good. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The, the law is good. It's good for what it was intended to do. 
It shines a light and reveals what the character of God is like. It shows us who He is. It shows us who we are. It shows us the difference between what is good and what is evil so that now we can distinguish between the two. Without law, we would not have known these things. We would not have understood this stuff. But now the law is here and it is holy and good. The law is not the problem. It's wonderful. Even if it was used as a weapon, it's still good. Are candlesticks bad just because in clue they get used as a weapon? For a long time, I didn't know what a candlestick was. It only was a weapon to me. It's just this thing in clue that somebody got killed with a candlestick. Now I look at it and go, really? How'd they kill him with a candlestick? It just holds up a candle so that you light up the room. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, it says, For this command that I command you is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it down to us, that we may hear it and do it? And neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us so that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. And if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his statutes, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going to over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, and therefore choose life that your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and your length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give it to them. The law is good. Psalm 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They are more desired than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter also than honey, than the drippings of the comb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. The law is good. Romans 7.13 Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin. It was sin. We've gathered everybody together in the living room. The detective stands up. The law stands accused. Was it the law's fault? Nope. It was sin. 
It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might come might become sinful beyond measure. The law is good. The law is good. Last year, uh, 2016, 40,000 people died in accidents involving motor vehicles in 2016. Are cars bad? No. But sometimes they inflict a lot of pain and death. More than 22,500 people died from overdose of prescription medications in 2016. Is medicine bad? No. But when it's misused, it can cause a lot of pain and death. The law is good. It's good for revealing God's character and who he is and how we are to live and how we might uh, honor him. But it's not good if we're trying to use the law to make ourselves acceptable to him. Because when we do that, then sin takes it and twists it against us and uses it as a weapon against us within our very hearts that we are condemned to death. And so that we find it as sin. Using the law in our hearts. But this is the thing that's good for us. Because while it's not actually a fun clue game or whodunit murder mystery dinner, what we see is that sin is a serial killer and this is how sin operates. It deceives us into sin and then uses the law to shine it on us and condemn us to death. And the only hope that we have is to find a savior who will save us from sin. We need Jesus to step in. So that when sin comes with the law to bludgeon us to death, Jesus steps in between and is killed instead. So that in Romans 10 it says, For Moses writes about the righteous person, the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, who, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is our hope. That when we confess and we believe in Jesus, we will be saved. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we come to you and when we recognize the law, see that we do not measure up. When we see the standards of how we are to live so that we might be acceptable to you, we recognize that we do not meet that standard. We fall on the wrong side of the law and deserve to be punished for it. And so, Lord, we are grateful that Jesus has stepped in for us. That he has taken our death for us so that the law cannot be used against us as a weapon. And Father, for that reason we rejoice. We rejoice in the goodness of the law that reveals you and shows us our need for a Savior. And we, we rejoice in the Savior who has saved us from sin. And we praise you for this now in his name. Amen.